Hebrews chapter 4. We're just going to read two verses here and then we'll read a, a bit more scripture as we go along. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Amen. This morning I am beginning what will be a series of lessons, the title of which is taken from verse 2 in our opening text and it's simply titled, Mixed with Faith. As a pastry chef, I thought that was a pretty good graphic to go with my lesson. Amen. I have referenced this verse from time to time as part of describing our need to have faith, our need to both believe and to act upon the Word of God. And as some of you are aware, the book of Hebrews compares what Jesus provided for his relationship with the church with the provision that existed in the Old Testament between God and his people. There's a lot of comparison that takes place. The word better appears quite often. And as the nation of Israel was being formed, if you know your Old Testament history, from a large number of slaves that were enslaved in Egypt and the Lord delivered them in the book of Exodus as a part of that process God gave Moses his law for his people and that law came with a covenant or we would understand that word to mean a binding agreement that had terms and conditions or perhaps to put it more plainly it had promises and it had warnings it had both of those and that arrangement between God and his people affected every area of their lives it wasn't a lot that they could just make it up as they went along God wanted them to understand that he was the God of everything amen and then when Jesus came when God was manifest in the flesh he also introduced a covenant and that covenant also included terms and conditions promises and warnings and in comparing these covenants Hebrews refers to better promises uh, better sacrifices, a better high priest, and overall, a better covenant. And as a part of that comparison, it uses Hebrews uses the historical account of how Israel responded to God, the good, the bad, and the in-between, and uses that history to teach us and to warn us about how we should respond. The Old Testament is still, as Brother Woodward mentioned Wednesday night, still very, very important to us. It's still relevant. We don't dispose of it. We don't dismiss it. It still has a very significant place in our relationship with God. Some examples of what I've just said from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at a bit of Scripture, but just before we read some more verses in chapter, in chapter 2, the first chapter of Hebrews reminds us of how in times past God spoke to his people through prophets. He gave them the law, but then he would raise up men and women as prophets and he would use them to give direction to give instruction to give correction to give warnings and he was the prophets were God's I guess live on the scene communicators they had the the law but the prophets were were in the moment they were the messengers came from God and so chapter one reveals how that in times past God spoke through those prophets but now has revealed himself through his son Jesus Christ who, it tells us, is the express 
image of God. He's not a rough match. He is the exact representation and image of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. And it tells us that as such, he has cleansed us from our sins. So that's, that's a little bit of what chapter 1 tells us. And then as we move into chapter 2, and these, these verses will be on the screen, verse 1 says, therefore, whenever you read that word therefore or wherefore, you need to go, what's it talking about? Because it's referring to what was just said. Therefore, if Jesus came, if he came to speak to us, if he came as God manifest in the flesh and he cleansed us from our sins, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every, somebody say every, every transgression, nothing went under the radar, Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, or we would say there were consequences. Then verse 3 says, If that was the case, then how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles, Gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So this, this, just to break down these verses, because Jesus had come and hadn't died for us, we should be paying very close attention to what we have been told in his word so that we don't let these things slip or drift away. Is anybody cold? Are we okay? Yeah, everybody's okay? I'm, I'm, we've got one cold person, sorry. One person to come. We've got, to go with it. We've got to be democratic when it comes to the air conditioning. It's the best we can do. So we are to pay close attention because if the commandments that were given in the Old Testament, now I don't want to get off track too much, but notice in verse 2 it says, if the word spoken by angels. In, in the Old Testament when, when Moses was given the law, the Bible doesn't record there that the angels were involved, but the Jews believed that the angels were involved in the communication of the law. In fact, There's a couple of verses in the New Testament we won't read for the moment that do seem to confirm that. That's just a side note. But if if the commandments in the Old Testament were steadfast, they were solid, they were firm, and whenever they broke those commandments, there were consequences. If that was the case then, how shall we escape? So we could say, how shall we escape consequences if we neglect this great salvation which we have received from Jesus and the apostles, which has been confirmed with miracles in the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's a very sobering warning. When it uses language like, how shall we escape? It's something we should pay attention to. And then again, also using the example of the Israelites in the Old Testament, in chapter 3, if you jump over a page or the other side of the page, chapter 3 in verse 7, it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear, I made an oath in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, this passage here is a direct quote from the 95th Psalm, taken straight from the Psalms in the Old Testament. 
And there are some parts of this passage that are significant, that are important to us because we have to always, whenever we're in the Word of God, the goal is always to find a present-day application. It's always to try to find a way to go, okay, what does that mean to me in 2023? When I read the Word of God and it gives instruction, whatever it is that it's giving, it doesn't have as much value if it's purely historical knowledge. It needs to come to the present. And I'm glad that's why the Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So we have to look for those applications. And the first thing we are told in that passage is that we should not harden our hearts. What that means is we've got to continue to listen to God. Continue to listen to God. When the Israelites came to the brink, to the entry point, if you like, of the promised land, their lack of faith caused them to doubt the promises of God. And the scripture says that God was grieved with them. That word grieved, when you look at the original, means it includes the ideas of anger and disgust. Not really interested in God being disgusted with me. Don't think that'd be a great place to be. And then verse 10 describes them as always erring. Not occasionally, but always erring in their hearts and not knowing God's ways. And the consequences, which we've been warned about in chapters 2 and 3, the consequences was that they were not allowed to enter into the promised land, which in these passages you'll see referred to by God as his rest. He describes it as them not being able to enter into his rest. So in a present-day application, in October 2023, we are told in verse 12 to be careful that we do not have an evil heart of unbelief. Now, does that mean we become violent criminals and vicious, wicked people? No. An evil heart of unbelief is demonstrated by drifting away from God and no longer having confidence in His promises. It doesn't mean you become a serial killer or or any of the worst crimes that you can imagine, but that's what it's talking about. Amen. Bless the Lord. And the chapter finishes by stating that the Israelites could not enter in, when you read the rest of the chapter, they could not enter in because of unbelief. So this, this little bit of background is the platform, or if you like, the runway, that brings us to our opening text. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 4, I want to read it again. Let us therefore, or because of this, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, this is present tense now, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Because of these examples, we should fear. Now, you know, people get funny when we start talking about fear and they talk about, you know, churches preaching fear to get people to respond to the gospel. But there are some things that it's rational to be afraid of. I don't like snakes. We were in Broome last weekend with brother and sister McCallum and they send their love to the whole church. Broome has a lot of snakes. They have a friend there who's lost four dogs to snakes. So every time I stepped outside their house, I'm skiing. I don't think that's irrational. I'm not a fan of brown snakes. I'm not a fan of something that can bite me and kill me. And when we understand the word of God that there are consequences for our actions, it is rational to be afraid of those consequences. 
When we discipline our children, if the consequences don't produce a little bit of fear, our discipline's not working. If we say, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to give you whatever you want, that's not going to work. There's a reason the smack stings a little bit. It's designed to be prohibitive. So when it says fear here, we're not talking about the kind of fear that paralyzes, and all, but it's talking about taking it seriously. We should be seriously concerned lest any of us should fall short of the rest that is promised to us. Not to them, but to us. Because the rest that the Old Covenant spoke of was the physical promised land. It was the land of Israel that was promised to God's people. But the rest that is available to us, again, October 2023, the rest that is available to us speaks of both the infilling of the Holy Ghost now, but also of life eternal. Or to put it simply, going to heaven. Amen. Verse 2 says that the gospel was preached unto them. Now, if it's talking about the Old Testament, which we believe it is, it's obviously not the gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's quite a few hundred years too early for that. So it's obviously not talking about that. But what he's telling us in the general sense of the meaning of the word gospel, meaning good news was preached unto them. Good news was preached unto them that if they believed and obeyed the word of God, that there were promises that God offered them blessing, provision, protection, victory over their enemies. That was good news. That was good news. Amen. But they did not benefit from the good news they heard because they did not believe it to be true when they were faced with the challenges that life brought their way. And we're going to use this expression a lot through this series, but the promises were not mixed with faith. They were not mixed with faith. Now, Sometimes we read this verse about how they did not profit from the Word of God because they didn't mix it with faith. And we can make the mistake of assuming that this is a simple matter of there are people who believe in God and there are people who, are, who don't. But it's, that's not the context. That's not the context. The historical context is that it's speaking to us about when Israel was in the wilderness or getting, coming into that period of their history. But before Israel got to the wilderness... They had to be delivered from Egypt. Okay? Now, the deliverance from Egypt included the first Passover, where a lamb was slain, a lamb was killed for each house, and the blood of that lamb was applied to the doorway of every house to avoid the consequences of disobedience. Then they left Egypt behind. They miraculously crossed through the Red Sea. And on the other side of the Red Sea, before, if I have my timeline correct, before they even got the law, God gave them a pillar or like a column of cloud to guide them by day and a pillar of fire to guide them by night. Now, we know from the scripture that this deliverance from Egypt and the components that were a part of it are a picture or a type of what it means to be born again in the present, in the New Testament church. We know that the Passover lamb was a symbol of how Jesus would be the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist declared when Jesus came to the Jordan River. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. We know that leaving Egypt was a picture of repentance where we leave the old life behind. We leave the world and everything that was... Egypt in the Word of God usually refers to sin and the world. And so when they left Egypt, it was a type of how we repent of our sins. The crossing of the Red Sea is referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 
as being a kind of baptism which points to our baptism in the name of Jesus. And the pillars of cloud and fire that gave them both direction and light speak to us of the Spirit of God, of the Holy Ghost, which we are blessed to be filled with when God pours out His Spirit upon us. So we have to pause here for a moment to realize that the book, those, those whom the book of Hebrews said missed out on the rest that was offered that we just talked about, those who did not profit from the Word of God and its promises were not simply unbelievers in the sense of people who didn't know God. They were actually God's people. They were God's people. Sometimes we read that and we think, oh yeah, that's just people who are they're atheists. They, they don't believe in God. That's, that's the people. And it's true, if they don't believe in God, then they're not going to profit from his word as well. But that's not the context. The context is that it was actually God's people. So somewhere between their deliverance, or we might say their salvation, and their final destination, they allowed life, the environment, the circumstances to cause them to lack faith and to take their eyes off God and not believe his promises. Now hopefully, unless I'm doing a really lousy job, you can see or at least begin to see how this overlays with our lives today. Amen. Moses was sent to the Israelites in slavery with a message of hope, a message of deliverance. They obeyed the instructions that he gave them from God. That's important. And they were powerfully delivered from bondage and their enemies were destroyed. Jesus comes to us with a message of hope and salvation and with instructions for us to be saved from our sins. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 14 and 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So faith requires a response. And so if we obey his word and we are born again, much as the Israelites were delivered from literal physical slavery, we are delivered from the bondage and slavery of sin. Amen. And to help us, to help us, Jesus has given us a taste a preview, if you like, or a deposit of the rest that is promised to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In whom, speaking of Jesus, you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which, talking about the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest, that word means down payment or deposit, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. It's a portion. It's a fraction. It's a percentage. When you go to buy a house or, or anything that you arrange finance for, there is often a deposit that is required. If you sell me your home and I give you a deposit, you are not going to let me near the keys until you've got the rest of your money, unless you're very unwise. Talk to somebody before you sell your house if that's how you think it should be done. But so what it's telling us here is that the Holy Ghost is that percentage down posit. The rest is coming. Okay? Verse 14, in a more modern translation, in the New Living Translation, verse 14 says, The Spirit 
is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Amen. So that inheritance, that promise that he purchased with his own blood, that's our promised land. Amen. Now that's, that's not a piece of land designated for us in the, middle of, in the Middle East like it was for Israel. Israel, it was a literal promised land and we need to pray for our brothers and sisters over there because as you've seen in the news, there's conflict there again and there's been conflict there for a very long time. But we are not promised a literal place that you can find on Google Maps. But as Jesus said in John 14, 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. See, just like the Israelites, the Israelites had a space between Egypt and the land of promise. Amen? And there is an undetermined period of time in our lives between I go to prepare a place and I will come again. We're in that, that gap right now. We're in that space right now where he said, I'm going to prepare a place and I'm coming back to take you to that place. That's where we're living right now. And it is wonderful. And that's not even a strong enough word. It is awesome. It is, it is incredible that we have had the opportunity to believe the gospel message and to be born again of water and spirit, as Jesus told us in John chapter 3, to repent of our sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus and have those sins washed away in what the Bible says is the only saving name, and to be filled with His Spirit, speaking of the tongues just like they did in the book of Acts. And I am so thankful this morning for His grace, for His mercy, for His long-suffering, for the fact that he has reached for us. Sometimes over a long period of time, just like the lost sheep we talked about earlier this morning, he has sought for us. And this church this morning, this house is full of testimonies of broken lives that have been made whole, of families that have been restored, of addictions that have been broken, of minds that have been set free, of peace where there is chaos bodies that have been healed, and so on. But I guess this first lesson is really trying to underline before we move forward that this mixing with faith idea is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. God provided manna in the wilderness every day for the Israelites, and each day they had to collect it, each day they needed to live, and each day they believed that God would show up again. And that he would provide for them. And I, I want to emphasize, if I can, it is wonderful if you have mixed your faith with the promises of God the first time and been born again. That's where it begins. That's the entry point. But if I can use a little bit of professional cooking language, we need another batch. Amen. We need to mix it again. We need to take the word. We need to take our faith. And we need to mix that, again, we need to be asking ourselves, what is the promise of God for me today? How does he want me to see my week ahead as I begin another week? How does he want me to apply his word in every area of my life? It is not just about salvation. 
Salvation matters. Without the new birth, we don't get to heaven. That's what the Bible says. But that's the beginning. Then there's what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on. And God has, wants his word to be in those days as well as Sunday morning. Amen. I'm not coming to your house for breakfast to preach to you every day because you've got a Bible. If you don't, get a hold of one. We need it. You know, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10 and 23, he said, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. That's King James English was saying, man's not smart enough to know how he should live. It is not in man, that's ladies as well, you girls that are laughing. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Man does not have the natural capacity to walk righteously, to do what God would have him to do, to walk in a way that glorifies and magnifies God. And then the psalmist said, because of that, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. We have the word of God. We need to mix it again with our faith. The psalmist said he needed to be directed by the word of God. Why? So that iniquity, which is trouble, wickedness, sorrow, would not have dominion or power and control over him. In the New Testament, Galatians, Paul said in 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We read this verse sometimes. we, We need to slow down sometimes when we read the Word of God. You read a verse you've read before, sometimes you automatically assume the outcome. There's so much more if we'll pause. But we read this verse sometimes and automatically connect not walking in the Spirit with sinful actions. And that is accurate. That's true. Because a few verses later in Galatians 5, it gives us a list of the works or the actions that come from sinful flesh. But where does that begin? Where does the walking in the Spirit or not walking in the Spirit begin? Remembering that just like the crowd in Hebrews, this verse is written to believers. It's written to people who are born again. It begins when, as the psalmist said, our thinking is either ordered or not ordered, guided or not guided by the Lord and how we respond to the challenges of every day. Because even if you're born again, if you're not walking in the Spirit, in other words, if you're not taking your faith and mixing it with the Word of God, you will respond to circumstances and situations naturally rather than supernaturally. We will give in to temptation. We will justify our actions. We will lack the faith we need to overcome adversity. We will see our problems and issues our way. We won't see them God's way. And when somebody comes to try to encourage us or to even instruct us in the ways of the Lord, we dismiss them because they don't understand what I'm going through. I had a dollar for every time I've heard that. Like the Israelites, when we see things naturally, we are grasshoppers in our own sight and we quit before the battle starts. But if you will continue to take your faith and mix it with the Word of God, with His promises, you can resist temptation. You can take responsibility for your actions. You can have the faith to overcome adversity. You can see your problems and your issues God's way. Not our, it doesn't make them vanish, but perspective is powerful. And when others try to encourage us or even instruct us in the ways of the Lord, we're willing to listen. We're willing to believe. We're willing to take guidance and correction 
You know, that's a pretty clear indicator of where you're at is how willing you are to listen to somebody who cares about you. Generally, if we instantly arc up, we're in the flesh. Now, having said that, if you're the one giving the instruction, there's a way to do that. That's a, that's a whole other lesson. But uh, We don't see ourselves as grasshoppers, but like Caleb said in that same chapter in the Old Testament, we are well able to overcome. Amen. That's the difference. The word rest appears in the fourth chapter of Hebrews eight times. Eight times it's there. The final time it says this in Hebrews 4 and 11. I'm just about done. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. After the example of unbelief of those Israelites in the Old Testament. That's what he's referring to. He said, let us labor. That means to work at it, to put effort in to be diligent. There's no drifting or slipping. There is a deliberate focus. Why? So we do not duplicate what they did, where we have been delivered by the Lord and then fail to trust that he can take us the rest of the way. Amen. How do we do that? And the very next verse is the key when you put them together. For the word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You want to live victoriously? Keep mixing. Keep mixing. Take the promises of God. Keep mixing your faith. in this book, when you mix it with faith, is so powerful that it can impact us at the level of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Amen. Now, if you're like me, when you read that verse, I've always kind of read it from the point of view of that God's exposing what's going on in my heart. And there is that element, but the other element is that right down to what I want to do, my desires, the the things that I'm prioritizing in my life, His Word can change me at that level. Because He is not just interested in changing you outwardly, but from the inside out. And so when we mix faith with the Word of God, the transformation can begin to happen right down at the level of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Amen. And from there we respond. From there we're directed. From there our steps are ordered. Stand with me if you would this morning. In the coming weeks we're going to consider some areas of our lives and how we can mix the Word of God with them so that we profit. Let's just lift our hands and thank Him for the privilege it is to have His Word.